0: Greetings and welcome to How We Do Digital Ministry podcast. I'm Christopher Harris, founder of Faith Growth. You can find us at faithgrowth.com, where we help churches build their online presence and engage with their communities online. On this podcast, I have a conversation with a church leader and ask them to share how they do digital ministry in their community. Today, I'm talking with the Reverend Dr. Aaron Cox Holmes, the executive presbyter of the Presbytery of Donegal. Aaron, Please introduce yourself and tell us how you do digital ministry.
1: Thanks, Christopher. Gosh, it is great to connect with all of you over these airwaves. Um, A little bit more about me. I grew up in Southern California, now am transplanted to Pennsylvania. I have been here in this presbytery for 11 years and previously in another presbytery for 19. So I've been 30 years in in leading mid-council ministries. I am married, have a husband who is a pastor, have two kids. My daughter, Meredith, is getting married in three weeks. Oh, wow.
0: So You're if amazing. I have any
1: brain left right now, it's it's doing pretty good. <laughs> um, how I got into digital ministry, um, I am one of those who, from the moment I was handed a computer in the early 80s, I loved my computer and my computer loved me and we um although i am not a digital native in the way that my daughter is who um when she was 18 months old and i asked her to bring me a uh, mouse to feed the snake that belonged to my son she came dragging the mouse from the computer behind her you know so she grew up that's in this awesome. city, but, oh, i love that story that's awesome But i i grew up with it um when um in the mid 2000s um It was time to go and do a doctorate of ministry. And I went to the only place in the country at that time that was doing a doctorate in um, the revitalization of the church in the digital age. And so that's where I did my work. Um, My particular focus was on sermons and how it is that a pastor can um, insert a, a film clip into a sermon with as I put it in my thesis proposal without having them both suck by doing it. (laughs) And um, when we have a moment, I'll tell you the story of how I came to that question. But um, now um, here in the Presbytery, um, we work with lots of pastors who are trying to get to a more narrative style rather than narrative voiceover and discovering the power of images and film and all the ways that those can be incorporated to enhance and engage worship.
0: Wow. Well, you know, so I think the I think I have to ask the question now. How do I insert film clips into my sermon without both of them sucking? I think that's it. Well,
1: I, I I will tell you the story of how they can suck. Um I first began to ask this question. I happened to be at a conference for Presbyterian educators. And um a guy who was the keynote preacher, um, and I, he's now deceased, but I know he doesn't mind if I tell the story. His name is Doug Adams. And he was very big in um, using art in religion. Well, he decided that he wanted to preach his keynote sermon and that he, when he came to a powerful moment in this sermon, he was going to use a film clip to illustrate what he was saying. Mm-hmm. So what he did, he was up in this pulpit, and he has reading glasses on and he is reading from a manuscript and the moment came when he wanted to use the film clip. So he put it down a sermon, took his glasses off his face. He came down out of the pulpit. He walked all the way across the chancel where there was one of those big projector carts that had a big CRT monitor and a VCR. And he was... Turned on the film clip, but it wasn't queued up quite right. So it went a little forward. It went a little backward. It went a little forward. And then it turned out to be the film clip from E.T. Where E.T. is saying to Elliot, I'll be right here. You know, the most affecting moment of Mm E.T. So he showed that. He stopped it. He walked all the way back across the chancel. He came up into the pulpit. He put on his glasses. He picked up his manuscript. And then he looked out at us and he said, wow. That was powerful. And it was like this, this light bulb went on for me because it wasn't powerful. It was hysterically funny. <laughs> it, it was Monty Python
0: yeah.
1: and it sucked. <laughs> um, and so I came to you know the, the doctoral work with, well, well, what is it that would let us put a film clip into a sermon and have it not suck? And it turns out that it, it largely is in the, the transitions. Um, I think that we can learn a lot, actually, from what happens in, on a computer when we hit something called a hypertext, when you hit one of those little underlines, mm-hmm. and it immediately takes you someplace else. And so this idea of how do we go in a sermon to a clip, and even more important, how do we come back, became the, the presenting question of my thesis
0: wow, I haven't really thought about it in that depth before, but no, that's important that, yeah, it would be the transition.
1: <laughs> well, it the really special, is.
0: That, that particular example, um, you know, because today if I was to do it, I would just do it in the middle of a bunch of slides with the clip and everything. But that example really hammers home him getting out of the pulpit, walking over to a good old fashioned TV cart. <laughs> and I'm assuming it was a VHS. it <laughs>
1: exactly yeah
0: (laughs) oh yeah wow yeah that is that's a good story about how you ended up on that um so tell me um you know I, i i like the phrase that you used right before we we were talking just a little bit before we started hit the record button you know and you know, you were talking about, so you studied preaching, you know, with a screen, and now we're having to learn how to preach for a screen or on a screen. And tell me what, what do you think that's like, or what do we need to learn, or how, you know, where are we at in this kind of iteration and learning as as preachers?
1: Well, I, I actually think it is a huge learning moment for us as preachers. And again, if we go back to one of the things that I get to teach on occasion is this whole question of preaching with a screen and how you do it. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And so one of the things that we have, if you are standing in a pulpit and generally it's best to stand here and then the screen is over here. So it forms like a composite when you're out and looking at you. And so since we read from left to right, you read the preacher, then you go and read the screen. And what happens is you are trusting people to then be accompanying, seeing in their field of vision, both you in the pulpit and also the screen. And so they're holding it together. Mm-hmm. So, for instance, I do a sermon out of Mark 8 and 9 where Jesus says, Anybody who wants to be my disciple must take up their cross and follow after me. And in the sermon part, I say that in the Greek, that following after has a physics to it that's being pulled along. And I say, um, like a mother duckling pulling little ducklings in her wake, or even better. Um, and then we go to, um, in Star Wars, when the, the first, um, now episode four, but the original Star Wars where we are sitting and we are watching, but suddenly there comes a moment when the film shifts and we go down into the, it's the Canyon race. And all of a sudden it's the first person perspective and we are being pulled in and following along with Luke Skywalker. (laughs) And in the same way Jesus is pulling us along. Mm -hmm. It's like, so when we get to that point of the film clip, um, I then say, well, I don't want to describe it to you. Let's watch. And so then I step and I look at the screen along with the people and so the focus then becomes the screen. And then it comes back to me with the Star Wars image that they composite. So um, there's such amazing things that we can do with film and with art when we can do that. But now when we're in this era where right now many preachers are preaching only on Zoom, um, it is you can't maintain that compositing very well. You can do it if you're spotlighted down at the bottom and then the film clip is on the major part of the screen. Mm -hmm. But I think that the whole methodology of how we move from the narrative voiceover of describing things into the actual narrative of the film or the art, um, I'm not quite sure how we're going to do that. Um, I have watched a lot of sermons over this year and I've watched that many pastors who were much better at narrative and weaving other elements into their, their services and their sermons, the, the all the multiple intelligence stuff, mm-hmm. all of a sudden have gone to much more narrative voiceover because many times they're staring into camera and there's nobody else in the room at all. So I think it's, it's a learning curve. Um, I think it's gonna be even more of a learning curve when we go back into sanctuaries and we're partly in person and we're partly hybrid. And so then you have the screen that people are watching in the sanctuary who are in person, but people who are joining by live stream are then going to be watching people watching a screen on a screen. And I, I think all of this, the art forms of how to do that, I think is kind of the next generation of transition almost. And, um,
0: Yeah, well, it's, it's, I mean, what I find interesting is someone who um, has experience like in that AV booth where none of us, uh, uh, where honestly, when we were doing our jobs, well, nobody knew we were back there. I I think what we're seeing is more and more, you know, how are we bringing them in to actually be planners with us and co-creators of the worship experience? Um, Because yeah, that's, all these little pieces are very important and it takes, you know, it's no longer just happening in the pulpit. It's, it's happening together in tandem with, you know, your team. Um, But yeah, it's, it's still, we got to figure out what are the best practices.
1: And if you're in a smaller church and your team happens to be your kid that you've conned into running the sound booth and one other person you hope is lining up the slides, you know, it, it, does um i think the work of preachers at that point becomes um as much with the uh, preparing the flow and keeping everything going as it does sitting in your study and reading a lot of books to come up with the exegesis it's more that you're constructing the flow of of your service and how that's all going to go
0: yeah that's uh I'm writing that down because I like that constructing the flow of the I mean, that's the the flow is, and that incorporates all the transitions and that incorporates what is in person, what's going out online. Um, that is, you know, that flow is going to be very key. I think you're right. You know, so we're, we're kind of, you know, learning as we go as a church right now. Um, what, you know, tell me about something maybe surprising or unexpected that just you've seen this last year, you know, where kind of have you seen God in this online, you know, our, online this last year?
1: Well, in the, the various, I work with about 50 churches and one of the things that has been surprising and delightful is um, when our church is shut due to COVID and because we're Presbyterian, it was like, we pulled the light switch and we issued an order. And in the middle of March in 2020, every church closed its doors. Yeah. And a number of churches went dark for about a week and many managed to send out a devotional or something, but that kind of darkness and depression descended. But yeah. by the second weekend to it, and I'm talking a few large churches that figured this stuff out on the fly, but a lot of solo pastors who were not particularly digitally minded. Um, you know, by a month into it, they were figuring it out and many of the solutions were homegrown and there was a lot of experimentation. I think most of them had most of their parishioners just really happy that they were trying to do anything and people stepped up and they began what you were talking about. Some of that co-creating how they were going to continue to worship together using a screen. Um, or in some cases, jimmying together some sort of a drive-in kind of thing and broadcasting over, um, over FM, but how they were going to do it all. And that incredible resiliency in the middle of exhaustion and having to suddenly acquire a mass of skills that they had never had to have before is a real sign of, I think, of the Holy Spirit just moving and nudging and keeping keeping the word going, um, going forward, and 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 um, that kind of moving beyond survival to making sure it all happens. So that's been a joy. It's been a joy to watch the ways that relationships develop. Um, I think for many congregations, it's suddenly not that they'll just pray for their homebound, but they're going to find ways to get a device into the hands of the homebound so that they can be joining in worship and be seen. And all of that are are great gifts that will continue forward with us. And I'm very grateful for them.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, out of necessity. And then we're just learning the ways that it helps us even connect uh, and be more inclusive. Like the homebound can participate in new ways that were just not possible Uh a year ago you know weren't even possible a year ago um and other communities that we can include um but yeah, that's, yeah it's been a fun it, i mean that's that has been some of the blessing and all this craziness um mm-hmm. so tell me you know because you you work with supporting a lot of churches i mean right now as they're considering hybrid or are they just considering what is worship in person going to look like while we're doing something online or, you know, what, you know, how maybe could you help frame some of the questions they should be considering, um, you know, as they're trying to decide what might be the best way to proceed?
1: Well, some of our churches are, um, rather than going hybrid, they are going to be doing a both and, okay. um so that they are going to have in-person services, and then for the foreseeable future, maybe forever, um, a worship team is also going to be doing a live-streamed or pre-recorded worship. The advantage of that is, um, be, it makes it the best experience you can make it for both um, both congregations. Um, those that are working on hybrid, our um, larger churches, we have one that just spent about $65,000 in order to put in about 12 wow. cameras for various angles and is hiring a new tech team and looking to try to make it for those who are worshiping from home as much of a, of a you are right here as possible Um, I was listening yesterday to somebody that they actually have people walking around with cameras on their shoulders, getting kind of um, up up close and um, comments and things like that to make people feel like they're woven in. Um, Once the novelty of that wears off, I am wondering if you're watching from home, how much you will feel like you are really worshiping there and how much it will still be that you're watching something happen on a screen fairly distant. Um, in my area with um, working for so many years on working with pastors to integrate art and film into their their worship, there are many copyright ways to do that um, because of an educational provision in copyright law. Um, I think a lot of churches are blatantly skirting with or violating copyright in the kinds of YouTube videos they show or or other things that they're showing. And once things are back in person and you're performing a number, but you're streaming it, whether you have the copyright to do that or not, um, I I don't think the copyright law has kept up with where we are. And I think that's gonna be a big mess in the next decade is what I think.
0: Yeah, and I think, yeah, there was a lot of, I agree with you there, I think there was a lot of grace granted Uh, just because of the global pandemic. I know several publishing houses that publish church music were just carte blanche. Open license for Uh, the for the year. But that yeah, that plus, you know, and I don't even understand copyright that well. But yeah, there's so many different facets from in-person to streaming is one to then when the stream's over, that's a recording now. And churches by and large I know I, I barely understand it. What I, the little bit I understand. So I get how our churches don't really get that there's, you know, it's a lot and it will become a bigger issue once this is over. Cause the, the grace will be gone and they'll want their, their fees, which. <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. um, but I do think, you know, kind of circling back to where you started first that I, you started you know, a lot of churches are going to do both two experiences and I, um, you know, the more I've thought about it, if I was at a smaller church, I think that's the way I would do it because you can produce it easiest. I mean, in a lot of ways, from a financial standpoint, you're not going to have to buy a lot of new equipment. Your iPhone, you know, your iPhone could do it or whatever. Um, you might need some new volunteers to help with the extra production during the week or whatever. Um, but I think it's the easiest way. The more I've thought about it, I I, I think that is the easiest way for our smallest churches to have two experiences that are very, uh, that are high quality for the two different audiences or the two different worshiping groups. Whereas doing the hybrid, like a true hybrid, yeah, twelve they got 12 different cameras and cameras on the move. I mean, that's probably what it's going to take. And then I think your point about what happens when the novelty wears off, is it just another TV show at that point that... Yeah, no, I, I, anyways, I just, I say that because I've been thinking the same way that it seems almost easier to do two experiences. And
1: um, I think the exception to that is those who are more elderly and homebound but have figured out how to be able to watch a feed um, probably by and large would rather watch the service as it's unfolding even if the quality is not that great because it gives them more of a sense of connection to seeing the people there. And in that case, making sure to extend the hospitality. Um, when I was little, I grew up with um, a show called Romper Room. And the the Romper Room lady at the end would always say, I see Susie and Billy and Nancy and Rodriguez. Um, so making sure that if you know who's joining you from your homebound community to say, today we've got you know, these people with us, um, everybody right now, let's, let's greet them, you know, to make them feel, I think that's probably one place where even if the quality is not the best, that's not necessarily the highest value for someone who is in a nursing home and and has a chance
0: to join. Well, it's kind of, you know, maybe it's even the two different phases of those that already had a strong connection with the church, the, the community, you know, they've been a part of it. The quality isn't probably going to be as high for those that are trying to establish that new connection. It might be harder. And the quality is probably going to have to be a little better. I would, I don't know. I mean, that's a, that's a hypothesis. I think we should test. I don't, I, you know, I have nothing to back that up, but I think that's, that's what my intuition would tell me right now. Now let's go test it. Right. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Is there anything that we should uh, be, you know, that maybe any of our pastors should be studying up on or learning or anything, you know, is there any, uh, anything that can help them, you know, that you think that maybe they should bone up on right about now to help them grow in their ministry?
1: Well, um, this has nothing to do with the, the digital world. Um, I think a lot of pastors are really tired mm-hmm. and it has been a long push with a lot of adrenaline. And now that we're you know, relaunching, but not open, but open and looking to a changed future. I think a lot of pastors need to take a break. Um, While worship is still online in many areas, um, one of the things we did here in Donegal was we did a Donegal Festival of Worship over last summer where 15 different churches agreed to host worship for a Sunday. And if a pastor needed a break, that was the host church and everybody else could go to that particular church, because if you're doing all the digital stuff, it's not just like getting a pulpit supply. It is, you need all of the tech and everything else. So everybody goes to Westminster this week. Um, We did it again over the first Sunday after Christmas until um, the start of Lent, because in our area, there was another big COVID surge and a lot of churches that had opened up closed again. And that gave pastors that, break in between advent and lent to kind of regroup and send their people off so i think that kind of collaboration is something that pastors need to think about um, pastors need to go somewhere and take walks and kind of let the well fill mm-hmm. um, i think pastors need to be tending to their own imagination and creativity as they imagine a new preaching season um, I think going back to my areas to imagine if you have something you want to say, is there um, a bit of of film? Is there some art? Is there something like that that would help to convey it? Because we all have been listening to so many talking heads, including right at this very minute, but (laughs) so many words. um, And um, I know I was working a while back on a sermon on joy. I wanted to show a film clip because I was tired of my own narrative voiceover. And so I had two different ideas for joy. Um, Either one is a little clip from Finding Nemo when Nemo's dad finally finds him and the other is from the Shawshank Redemption when they come up out of the ground. And um, so that for a pastor, that pleasurable debating of like which to show can unlock some things that can make the craft of preaching fun again, I think is part of what many pastors need.
0: Yeah, I like, you know, how you said, tending to your creative and that, you know, if you're not careful, I mean, that's probably one of the areas I know personally will dry up the fastest when I'm the most stressed and the most overworked and I need to take those walks or or go play with my nieces, like like color with my nieces, like play their games with them. That's, for me, at least, that's always a great escape uh, that helps helps my creativity um so i've asked a lot of questions and uh, my final question is um i always like to ask so was there something i should have asked that i didn't ask is there some question you want to answer that i didn't ask basically
1: well (laughs) you know (laughs) so where is all this going to end up you know that's my question to you where do we where do we land (laughs) no it's it's delightful to to work on all of this. Um, I think the one thing maybe we didn't talk about is the role of children and kids in crafting some of this. And I think in the digital world, there's a lot of ways they're native and how they can do a little clip that you can read into your sermon or do some art for you and things like that. And if you're really dried out, find some kids and help them with your content creation. Yeah,
0: you know, that that reminds me of another uh, pal- uh another guest we had on where he kind of said that um you know maybe it's like a third preaching and a third kind of co-creating and a third I can't remember what is anyways i that's bad I can't remember but he he was intentional about you know maybe it's not just all you but bringing people in to help you know share the message as well and I like I like that you've reminded me of that that yeah we need to it doesn't just have to be us and how can we help, have other people help us uh,
1: and the other thing that we tell our pastors in particular, those who are not digital experts, but are figuring this out is never underestimate um, the power of the internet to know that when you're desperate to get a file upload, because that is when it will work on you. So um, I, I try to encourage my pastors and myself that this is all much less stressful if you're doing it on a Thursday, as opposed to when you're doing it on a Saturday and trying not to do stuff on a Saturday that you need done on a Sunday because that is exactly when you spend two hours uploading it to Vimeo and at the last second it doesn't convert.
0: So all the green- that's
1: my other big best advice is <laughs> exactly. change it so you're doing it earlier in the yeah. week.
0: How can you relieve that stress and give you, yes, no, I would agree with that. As someone has been playing with computers all of my life, there's just no rhyme or reason when things will go wrong. And when they do, it takes that five minute task to two hours. Um, Good advice there. Um, So uh, that is all the time we have today. And I want to say thank you, Pastor Aaron, for being our guest on how we do digital ministry. I want to invite all of our listeners and viewers to make sure that they follow and subscribe to the podcast, either on YouTube, Spotify, or Apple Podcasts, wherever they're listening to us. Uh, Pastor Aaron, how can our listeners find and follow you online?
1: Well, um, at the moment, the thing to do would be if you want to converse more, get in touch with me, um, through email, through, um, um, contacting my presbytery, which is Donegal Presbytery, Google it. It will come right up. Um, we're actually in the middle of redoing our website and then we'll be back to more social, but at the moment it's that part is kind of a mess
0: okay well we'll be sure to list the link to the Donegal presbytery website in the show notes I'd like to once again thank everybody for listening uh, we'd like to connect with you in other ways uh, please join our private facebook group uh, just so eloquently called how we do digital ministry it's where you can interact with us and other and several hundred other church leaders uh, the seven days between our podcast episodes and talk about all things digital ministry. So that links there in the show notes as well. We'd love to see you in the Facebook group. All right. Um, Thank you again, Aaron. I appreciate your time today and I appreciate all of our listeners. Peace and blessings to you all.